Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 2 through 6. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, the last time we were together, we saw that we were to live a life of constant communication with the Lord, with the Lord, and we looked at being steadfast in prayer. Tonight, we're going to look at some of the things that God wants us to talk to Him about. That's what we're going to do. So what we're going to do is we're just going to start breaking this section down, and I'm going to pull out three or four things that God wants us to act, talk to Him about. We see, number one, is that God, pray that God would open a door for the Word. Now, we're going to go into a study tonight that is very deep. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to ask many of you to just write a lot of these scriptures down, even if you can't keep up with me, because I'm going to give you more than normal. Um, I'm going to ask you to just write them down and begin to go look at them yourself, because we're going to deal with a topic tonight that has caused a lot of confusion and, and, and unfortunately, some dissension among Christian brothers. We're going to look at what the scripture actually says about God's work of salvation, and who's doing the work, and whether or not man has a responsibility, and all those things. But we're going to let the Scriptures speak. As you know, I try to teach you that you can't build your doctrine on one verse or a couple of verses. You need to let the whole of Scripture have you build your theology, because God wrote the whole book. And when you put it all together, you can get a correct understanding of what God's Word says. Too many people fight over this issue when it comes to predestination or man's free will. They'd fight using a couple of verses here and a couple of verses there. We're going to take a look at the whole of Scripture, and you're going to see what the, the, the balance that the Bible teaches. You're going to see tonight that we're to be praying about this issue regularly because, as you're about to see, this salvation thing is something that God does. Yet, at the same time, you're going to also see that man has a responsibility and that both go together. But we're being told tonight that we're to be praying. Look what Paul says again. He says at the same time, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. You'd be praying at all times. But when you do, here's something I want you to pray about. Pray that God may open a door, open to us a door for the word. God is the one who opens the doors of opportunity for the preaching of the word. Go with me to Acts chapter 14. Let me show you something in a couple of passages here in Acts. Acts 14, then we'll go to Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 14, verses 24 through 28. Paul and Barnabas are now returning to Antioch. This is to the church that they were sent out from. If you remember from Acts 13, it says that they were leaders, elders in the church in Antioch. And they, God had said, I've set them apart for the work I've called them to. And they were laid their hands on them and sent them off to be missionaries. They now return after this missionary year missionary journey. They return to the church in Antioch. And it says, they, Paul and Barnabas, passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Now, again, remember, every word of Scripture is God breathed. And so when the Scripture says that God opened a door of faith for the Gentiles, we can't skip over that. If you remember, as you've heard me teach on you this before, when Jesus came to the earth and walked on the earth, who was he sent to? To the Jews. Were Gentiles being saved? Yes, a Gentile here, a Gentile there. But as a whole, God was not drawing the Gentiles in mass. He was drawing the Jews. But there came a point, which you've heard me teach on as well, that near the end of Jesus' time, all of a sudden there was a group of Greeks that wanted to see Jesus. And they went to Philip and said, we want to see Jesus. And Philip went and got Andrew, and the two of them went to Jesus and said, hey, there are a group of Greeks that want to see you. And Jesus said, it's time for me to die. It's time for me to go to the cross, which is a very interesting thing. And as I've said before, folks, as you know, this time of the Gentiles is a time that God has set, according to Romans chapter 11, verse 25, this time of the Gentiles comes, comes to a close. Is he drawing Jews right now? Yes. But is he drawing Jews in mass or is he, drawing more is he working more toward Gentiles than Jews right now? 
Gentiles more than Jews. Oh, there's still Jews being saved here and there. But as a whole, his spirit is working more with the Gentiles than he is the Jews. And when this time starts to begin to come to a close, you're going to see him moving his drawing from the Gentiles back to the Jews. That's one of the things I'm watching for that shows that our time, the church age, is coming to a close. Yet interestingly enough, what is happening right now is that Jews all around the world are sensing this strong urge to go back to Israel. It's called in their language the Aliyah. It means to go home. And it's happening in mass. And I'm just telling you, be watching. Of course, we'll deal more with that prophecy stuff in a couple of weeks. Go to Acts chapter 11. But we just saw there that they said, look, God opened a door for the gospel to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. This is Paul explaining what happened when he was preaching the gospel to Cornelius and the people in his house. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Their reaction was, what are you doing in a Gentile house? Peter, you're a Jewish person. You're not supposed to go in a Gentile house. And he had to explain the whole thing and how he was up on that roof and he had the vision. And God said, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. And then these men showed up and the spirit God within him said, go with them. And he went into this house and they were all gathered. And as you know the story, he shared the gospel with them and they believed. And when they believed, the spirit of God came upon them and indwelt them. And so now he's having to explain to the Jewish brothers why he was in a Gentile house. He told them the whole story and their reaction was, wow, I guess God's given salvation to the Gentiles too. But look at how it's worded. He said, they said, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Folks, I want you to hear this. God is the one who opens the door for the gospel to be heard. Go to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, look at verses 44 and 45. Jesus is speaking. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Don't don't run it. Read ahead. What did Jesus say just there? He said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. In other words, no one can be saved. No one can come to faith unless God initiates the process by drawing them by his spirit. God controls who hears. Oh, stick with me, because some of you are saying, well, do everybody, does everybody hear? This passage answers that question. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will what? They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, some translations say heard and listened, who have learned from the Father comes to me. Look closely what Jesus said. He said, first of all, nobody can come to me unless the Father begins the process and he draws them by his Spirit. As it says in the prophets, because the next question is, does God draw everybody then? And there are those who teach that God doesn't draw everyone, and that's not scripturally true. God does draw everyone in some way, shape, fashion, or form. Now, I have to take you to a deep, true understanding of the scriptures, and I'm going to ask you a question. Does God draw everyone the same way or with the same amount of drawing, according to the scriptures? No, he doesn't. There are those that he gives more light than others. Jesus himself said that it'll be easier on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for Capernaum. Why? Because Capernaum received more light, more revelation from God. Jesus himself walked in their midst. And so when God holds Sodom and Gomorrah accountable, they will be judged according to how much light they have received. The passage we love to quote, unto whom much is given, much is required, actually is in the full context of how much light we've received. We here in America, those who have rejected the gospel will be judged not according to their sins as much as they'll be judged according to how much light that they have received here in America and they have not responded to. But if we're going to be faithful to the scriptures, does everyone hear? Yes. Everyone hears. They all will be taught by God. 
Now, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that, first of all, he's revealed himself to the whole world through creation. His invisible qualities, the divine nature have clearly been seen through what's been made so that everyone's without excuse. Paul goes on in chapter 2 to say that even if they haven't heard God's written word, he's written his law on their hearts. And everyone, whether they've heard God's law or not, we've all got a, we're all born with a sense of right and wrong and a conscience. And as you've heard me ask you before, have you ever gone against what you sensed in your heart was right and wrong? Of course you have. We all have. And God's shown you whether you have heard the law of God that you're a lawbreaker. And it even says in that passage in Romans chapter 2, Paul says, And God will judge all men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Everyone hears, but there are those whom he draws more than others. And when God says, I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion, and mercy on whom I'll have mercy, we have to get to that point where we say, God is God, and he gets to do it however he wants. As I travel the country and I speak and teach in churches all around, inevitably, the people will come up and say, you seem to have memorized a lot of the Bible. And I'll say, that's because I don't have to go to committee meetings anymore. <laughs> but also, it's because God has just wired my brain that way. And inevitably, they'll say, would you be willing to do a question and answer night? And I'll say, sure, I love that. I'll be honest with you. If you ever want to do a question and answer night, it's one of the most exciting things for me. I love it. Because what you'll do is you'll ask me a question, and then all these verses in the Bible that deal with that will come into my mind, and we'll have a blast. The problem is, it takes me a while to answer one question. <laughs> Inevitably, they'll say, we want to know about this predestination free will debate that's tearing the church apart. And when I deal with that question, I'll say to them, and I'll say, look, first of all, I will have no problem dealing with it. I think the Bible talks about that very clearly in many places. But you need to give me an hour, and you all need to uncross your arms. You see, because whenever you talk to any group of people about this issue, all they really want to know is, is which side of the aisle are you on? Are you on my side or on their side? You wouldn't be amazed at how many people are trying to judge whether or not I'm a Calvinist or a free will or an Arminian. I'm neither. I try to stay faithful to the scriptures. And to be honest with you, I could show you scriptures that would convince you I'm a Calvinist. I could then show you scriptures that would convince you I'm not. And so what I tell these people is, is I say, look, for some of you, you have already sat there with your arms crossed and your attitude is, I'll never believe in a God who chooses some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. And um, I want you to uncross your arms before we get started. Because in Romans chapter 9, verses 22 and following, Paul says, what if he did it that way? It literally says, what if he chose some to display his glory and he chose some to display his wrath? Paul never says God does it that way, but he says he has every right to. Who are you, the lump of clay, to say to the potter, why have you made me like this? Folks, we have to be faithful to the scripture and let the scripture build our theology, not our wishes or how we'd like it to be. And that's why a lot of people try to find a couple of verses that sure look like well, he's not willing any to be to come to repent. I mean, to, to go to hell and all to come to repentance. You know what? That's very true. But the Bible doesn't say that everybody gets drawn the same amount. Let's be honest. How many of you had a blinding light and an audible voice knock you off your horse like Paul did? Nope. I also tell the people on the other side who have already made up their definition of what sovereignty is, and I say you all need to uncross your arms because. You have already decided that if uh, man has any say in the process, God's not sovereign. And I can show you that God is so sovereign, he can still be in control and still give man a choice because the scripture says man has a responsibility and man must choose. And they're both there. And so what I want you to understand is, is that's why the Bible teaches that we are to ask God to open a door. Because God is the one who initiates the process and God is the one who determines how much light they get. Some of you got some people you really would love to know, come to know Jesus, some family members, some friends. You need to start praying that God would open a door first. That God would give them every chance. That God would begin to work. Now, everyone does not, everyone does receive this opportunity to hear from God, but not everyone responds appropriately either. We see that in John 6, don't we? It says, everyone that hears and listens or learns comes to him. Uh, those of you who have raised teenagers, is there a difference between hearing you and listening? Oh, yes. <laughs> everybody hears. The Bible says everybody hears, not everybody listens. So there's a big difference between hearing and listening. 
Everyone in the world gets this opportunity to be saved. Everyone does. Not everyone gets the same amount of opportunity. And God gets to be God, and he's chosen to do it that way. And we have to humble ourselves and say, I'm going to trust that your plan is best and that you're good and you're just, and I'm going to just leave it alone because my flesh wants everything to be equal. The Bible does not teach that. At the same time, don't fall into the trap of thinking that there are those who have no opportunity. The Bible teaches everyone does. Okay? Now, the open door is a place where God is drawing people and they are responding appropriately. All right? This is why he inst Jesus instructed his disciples to go to town to town the way he did. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, look at verses 5 through 15. <clears throat> it says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you see it? God determines where they're to go, and he determines who's to hear at this time. We would say, well, that's not fair. Do you want to take it up with God? By the way, the more you understand how much God controls this salvation thing, the more it should cause you to just thank him, thank him, thank him for the salvation that you have. Don't go among the Gentiles or don't even go to the Samaritans, but go only to their, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, no, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Well, how do you find out who's worthy? What does that mean? Well, he says, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for that land of, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Look at what he says. When you go into a town or a house, let your peace go out. If it's received is what he's saying, stay. If it's not, what are you to do? Move on. See, we've been taught that evangelism was us going and knocking on every door and trying to convince everybody. Hey, there can be a lot of places where they say, not interested. Move on. Move on. We've spent too much time trying to do God's work in our own strength. Oh, by the way, you can pressure. I've been with people who call themselves evangelists, and they share the gospel with every waitress in the restaurant and every person that comes by, and they're so forceful. I've seen them get people to pray prayers when I'm sitting there going, I'm not even sure that person even understands, but they want a good tip. <laughs> we need to be recognizing, is God at work here, or is he not at work? And we put our energy where he's at work. Remember, no one can come unless this father has begun the process and draws them. So if someone even responds at all, because it says in Romans chapter 3, we love to quote verse 10, Romans 3.10, how there's no one righteous, not even one. But does anybody know what verse 11 says? It says, there's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Nobody seeks God on their own. When I was a pastor of churches, and when I was pastor here as well, if visitors came in on a Sunday, I didn't think to myself, ooh, possible church member. I didn't want them to become members. That's when they became problems. <laughs> but my first thought was, I, know under, I understand the scriptures, kind of, and nobody walks in the door of a church by themselves because there's no one who seeks God. If anyone's seeking God, God has already begun the process in their heart. Therefore, I want to find out where they are in this process of God bringing people to salvation. I'll teach it another time maybe on how to squeeze and sniff and thump people to find out where they are in the process. You ladies, when you go to the grocery store and you buy a cantaloupe, just because it's in the store doesn't mean it's ripe, does it? What do you do? You squeeze it, you sniff it, you thump it to find out where it is in the process, right? In the same way, we are to go out into the harvest field. We're understanding that our Father is already at work. He's the one who's doing the work. He's the one that's doing the, the breaking up of the fallow ground. He's the one who's preparing the hearts. We go out into the harvest field and we're to squeeze and sniff and thump without getting arrested to find out where people are in the process of God bringing them to salvation. Jesus simply said, when you go into a town or into a house, if your 
peace is received, if they're worthy, in other words, they're responding appropriately to my father's work, stay there. If not, move on. That's why when Paul, when he was seeking to be led of the Lord and to where God would have him go, and I'm going to deal with that more a little bit in a little bit tonight. Where would God have him preach the gospel? In Acts 16, he tried to go into Asia. The Spirit said no. Tried to go into Mysia. The Spirit said no. And then he has the dream of the man of Macedonia, and he knows that that's where God wants him to go. But when he goes into Macedonia, he still doesn't know exactly where or who. So what is he doing? He's looking for people that are seeking God. So he goes to a place of prayer by the river, and there are a group of women there. And he begins to share the gospel there. And the first convert was Lydia. And she says, I'd like the church to start in my house. If you consider me a believer, would the church start in my house? And that's where he planted and went to work. And the same way, as you go, as you share this good news, I'm sorry that people told you that you had to start at the beginning of the tract and tell them all the way to the end of the tract and try to get them to pray the prayer. I'm sorry that you've been taught all these evangelistic methods on how to begin and start the whole process and finish the whole process in one sitting. That's never been God's plan. God's plan is I'm the one doing this work. I'm the one preparing hearts. I'm the one drawing people. I'm the one that's opening their eyes. All I'm asking you to do is work alongside of me and work where I'm at work. What did Jesus say in John chapter 5 verse 19? He said the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his father doing. That's why in Matthew 15, when Jesus was in this one area and this Canaanite woman, this Gentile woman calls out and says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Heal my daughter. She's got a demon. Jesus ignores her. Why? He was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. This is a Gentile woman. The disciples come and say, she's driving us nuts. Would you send her away? And he says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. It's not right for the children's bread to go to the dogs. Yet this woman says, I'll be a dog then. Because you're the only one that has what I need. And even the dogs get to lick the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And what does Jesus turn to her and say? Woman, you have great faith. In other words, my father's at work here. And he gave her the attention she needed. We need to know how to recognize, is my father at work? Is my father at work? If not, move on. Well, by the way, just because the father's begun his work doesn't mean they're ready to be saved either. But that's a lesson for another time. Go to Mark chapter 5. Let me show you how Jesus lived this out. Remember, Jesus only goes where he sees his father leading him. He lived that way all along. And we don't have time to go to this passage, but in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, you'll see Jesus gets up early in the morning. He goes off to pray. His disciples get up and they're looking for him. And they finally find him and they say, everyone is looking for you. We would say open door, wouldn't we? I mean, people are looking for you. Jesus says, let's go somewhere else to the nearby towns and villages because that's why I've come. After coming out of that time of prayer, he knew the father had told him it was time to head to the next town. But in Mark 5, in verses 14 through 17, this is the situation where he finds this man who's got the legion of demons. Remember, the townspeople aren't even able to take care of him because he's so controlled by demons. They, they're trying to chain him, and that doesn't even work. Jesus heals this man. And in verse 14 of Mark 5, it says, The herdsmen fled. And this is Remember, that Jesus cast the demons into the pigs. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. What did Jesus do when all the townspeople came and said, we don't want you here? He left. He left. Oh, he was led of the Father to go find this man. He heals this man. The man comes to faith. You're going to see in a little bit later. I'll come back to this passage. If you want, put a bookmark here. We're coming back to this passage. He heals this man. He comes to faith. But all the people in the town come out and they say, we really kind of, this freaks us out. We don't want you here. We're not comfortable with this. Jesus just gets in the boat and heads on to the next place. Folks, we've turned evangelism into, well, I'm not very good at it. That's because we only have the people who are the harvesters come and share the stories about how this person came to faith and this person came to faith. Jesus actually said in John chapter 4, around verse 31, 32, he says, others have done the hard work. You harvesters have, have, re have reaped the rewards of their hard work. One plants, another waters. God who takes care of the increase. 
Just because someone says, I was with somebody and I shared the gospel with them and they prayed to receive Christ and everybody goes, oh, praise the Lord. We think that that person's better at it than the person who, actually the five to seven, who had already laid the seed over the years, talking to this person and sharing the gospel with them. All those people that witnessed to you long before you came to faith, Jim, will be rewarded for their faithful labor of planting and watering. But we only celebrate the harvesters. Folks, some of you might not ever see a lot of harvest in this life. But one day you will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ for all that God did through you as you've been faithful to plant the seed wherever he tells you, however he leads you. Opposition to the gospel does not mean a closed door, though. Listen closely. Opposition to the gospel does not mean a closed door if there are still people that are responding appropriately. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. You'll see something very interesting here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. By the way, if any time during this study you have a question or a thought, raise your hand. I can stop and keep going. It won't bother me. If you have any, if you're with, I want to make sure you're with me. I don't want to just give my lesson. I want to make sure you're grasping this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, look at verses uh, 12. No, sorry, 5 through 9. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 9. Paul says to the church there in Corinth, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Isn't that amazing? He says, there's a lot of people here that are opposing what God's got me doing here in this area. But at the same time, I know that God's also got a wide door open. I'm seeing God at work, so I'm going to stay. Even though there's opposition, I'm going to stay. So an open door is a place where God has begun his work and the people are responding appropriately. At the same time, don't just assume that if there's opposition, that that's a closed door. You need to be recognizing, is God able to do work? Are people responding, even though there's opposition, are there people responding? Let me just tell you real quickly, I had the privilege this past week of preaching revival at a church in Virginia. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done in that place. But I also saw an open door there. When I walked in that first Sunday morning, it had already been a crazy morning because I had taught at 8 o'clock at one church and at 9.30 at that, at that same church and then drove a half hour from there to get to the 11 o'clock service that was already beginning. And when I walked in, I thought, oh boy, is this going to be a long, hard week. Because I deal with a lot of churches that are kind of stuck in the 50s. This one is. Yet, God began to do something while we were there where the Sunday night crowd was bigger than the Sunday morning crowd. And the Monday night crowd was bigger than the Sunday night crowd. And the Tuesday night crowd was bigger. It was pretty cool. There's a lot of opposition. There is a lot of things that are going to have to be dealt with by the leadership of that church for real revival to continue. But what was cool was, even though there was opposition, and there were those who did not like what I had to say, God was also doing something there. And I look forward to opportunities to go back. And they've already begun to talk to me about when I'm going to come back and work with them some more. And I'm excited about that. We're to ask God to draw people and pray that God and his angels, listen closely. We're to ask God to draw people and pray that God and his angels will defeat the spiritual opposition in the spiritual realm that reveals itself in the physical realm. You remember Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against what? Principalities and forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Folks, what's really going on is that this whole salvation thing is a battle between Satan and God. It's really a battle between Satan and God for the souls of men. Go to 2 Corinthians. You're in 1 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verses 3 and 4. I want you to see something. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case... The God of this world, which is Satan, you see it's a small g, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Hey, oh, by the way, we see here that God was working to draw them, but Satan was blinding their eyes. 
Do you understand what's going on here? That's why we need to pray. Oh, not always uh, all the time about everything, but always and every time, all the time about especially these things of the spirit. We need to understand that we're in a daily battle. And whenever we go to teach the word and preach the word, I do this. Whenever I go to even teach on Tuesday nights, I spend time ahead of time talking to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want your truth to get across. Because even though most everybody here is believers, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be a spiritual battle going on of whether or not people are going to hear and respond to truth appropriately. And I know that if it's not because I said it really well that you guys understand it. If you understand it, it's because God's opened your eyes. And the spiritual battle that's going on in the spiritual realm has been won by the Lord and his angels. And there is a battle going on. And so we're to be praying that God would open the door, that God would defeat the spiritual battle that's happening. Because he's definitely greater than Satan, is he not? Oh, by the way, the Calvinists would tell you that um, if someone doesn't respond, God didn't draw them. Here we see that if they don't respond, it's not that God didn't draw them. Satan blinded their eyes. There's a battle going on. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, back up to chapter 3. Look at verses 4 through 16. Such is the confidence, Paul says, that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the, ministry, if the ministry of death, which is the law, by the way, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit even have more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So before we go any further, make sure you're with me on what Paul's saying here. If the law that God gave through Moses came with such glory that Moses, every time he was in the presence of God, his face glowed and he came down from the mountain and his face glowed so much from being in God's presence that the people were like, they were afraid of him. So he had to wear a veil so that people wouldn't be freaked out by the fact that his face glowed. He said, if the law that brings death came with that much glory, how much more glory should this gospel of salvation through faith and grace come with more glory? Look at what he says in verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Which happens first? The turning to the Lord or the veil being removed? The turning to the Lord. See, God begins to draw, but we still must respond to that drawing. And it's when we respond in faith to this drawing that God opens our eyes and has us see it. It wasn't that we open, it opens our eyes and we see it and then we respond. There is a response of man. That's why the Bible says it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Then it will be for those cities that had more light. Why? Because God showed them. He revealed it to them. And they rejected it. They rejected it. Folks, the Bible, if you use the whole scripture, shows you this work of salvation is God's work. And he draws who he chooses. He draws everyone. Not everyone gets the same amount of drawing. Yet at the same time, if God's begun his work in your heart, you are responsible for how you respond to it. And when you respond appropriately, the veil's taken away, and you get to understand. I knew there was a man in Chicago named George, and I don't even mind saying his name because he wouldn't mind if he heard that I was preaching about him. He wouldn't mind me telling his story, George Tverdick. I used to joke with him because up there in that area, a lot of people don't even have vowels in their names. I used to tell him those was only the poor families that had no vowels. The rich people had vowels in their names. <laughs> George would come every single Sunday without fail. His family, his wife and children were believers, but George would not come. I mean, he'd come, but he wouldn't respond. And everybody knew George wasn't a believer. And he'd tell everybody he wasn't a believer, because this is what he always said. He said, I know me. I know I won't change. 
I know who I am. I know what a wretched person I am. I want it to be true, but I know me, I won't change. And I tried every which way to convince him and to help him to see that you're trying to understand something before it happens. You just got to believe it and then watch what God does. And he never did respond until two or three years after I left that church and came here to be pastored in the Atlantic. And then I got the phone call from George that he had given his life to Christ. And he says, you were right. I didn't understand before, but now I, I wanted to kill him. It's like, you rat. I wanted to see that. He goes, it just wasn't time. He said, but finally I just decided whether it happens or not, I'm just going to trust. And when I did, something happened. And I've changed. He turned to the Lord and the veil was lifted. Go to John chapter, well, we're not gonna, for the sake of time, I'll just quote it to you. You can write it down, look at it later on. In John chapter 16, verse 8, it's, Jesus says, he's just said it's good for you in verse 7 that I'm going away, because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. Verse 8 says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of their sin and their guilt, their need of righteousness, and the fact that there's a coming judgment. Whose job is it to open the eyes of the world of their need? It's the Holy Spirit's. It's not ours. Our job is just to share the truth. Whether they get it or not, it's not up to us. Too many of us have felt it was our job to convince people they're sinners. You're going to hell. You're guilty of sin. You know what? Those are all true things if they are not in Christ. We just need to share the truth, though, and believe that God will open their eyes, that God will help them to see that. It's not our job to convict the world. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them. And if they're not convicted, it's not because you didn't do a good job. It's because either God hasn't done his work yet of convicting or they are not responding appropriately. Either way, are you responsible? Go ahead, Jeff. I don't know if you want to go there, but even if we hear the gospel being received and we don't share, we shouldn't feel guilty either because it's not our sufficiency. And that's what Paul says in the chapter before. We're kind of come to that passage. You're right. <laughs> Trust me, this goes in so many ways. No, I'm glad you're bringing that out. We're going to deal with... Time-wise, hopefully we'll get there. But if people like you wouldn't stop asking me questions, we will. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, for those that are listening online, that's my brother. All right. But it's the Spirit's job. It's the Spirit's job to open their eyes and convict them of their sin. All right? All right. Now, listen. Have you seen yet why it's so important for us to first ask God to open a door for us to preach, teach, or share the gospel? This is God's work, isn't it? This is a spiritual battle that's going on. This has nothing to do with how good you are at it. You've heard me share before that Paul in his imprisonment in Rome had all these Jewish people, leaders in, in Rome, Jewish people come to him and hear him preach because they said, you know, we've heard about this Christian thing. We haven't heard anything bad about you yet, Paul, so tell us. And he preached the gospel to them. The Bible says half the room came to faith. The other half went away mad. Did Paul mess up with half of them? No, this is a spiritual thing. Folks, let me just tell you, evangelism shouldn't be something scary. Evangelism shouldn't be something only for the certain few. Evangelism is something we're all to be doing, understanding, as you're about to see, where and who God wants us to talk to, knowing that this is God's work. So before you even get up in the morning and go have an opportunity to share the gospel, why don't you, because you're praying steadfastly, right? You had that lesson. Why don't you ask God to open doors? As you guys go into the prisons, Lord, just because someone opened a key to let us get in doesn't mean there's an open door here. That's just a human open door. We want you to do the work here. As we go, be asking God to do the work because this is a spiritual battle. And Paul said, pray that God would open a door for us. Oh, by the way, um, did Paul ask that God would open his prison door? And you all notice that? Paul didn't ask that he'd open his prison door. Actually, Paul's getting to preach the gospel right now. He's in imprisonment in Rome. He's in a house. He's having to pay rent. People from all around, churches are all around, are sending money to help him pay his rent. He's in a house. He's in imprisonment there for a couple of years in Rome. And while he's there, people are allowed to come and go and visit him. And so he's having church. And when he says pray that the door for an open door would happen, he was just simply talking that God would keep giving him opportunities to share the gospel as he sat there as a prisoner in Rome. That's kind of cool. We also need to pray, not only that God would open a door, we also need to pray and ask God to send more people out to share the message of salvation through Christ. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, look at verses 37 and 38. 
And I apologize if I pick up speed because I really want to continue this lesson and not leave us dangling. So I'm going to pick up speed a little bit here. Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Look closely what he says next. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Most of us grew up in the churches where we'd hear this verse where the field is ripe unto harvest, but the laborers are few. And the preacher would guilt people into you need to go out and share the gospel more. You ever heard that? We need more laborers. Some of you need to get off your butts. 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Those preachers shouldn't have, should have read their Bibles before they finished trying to preach in the flesh. Yes, the field is hard, the harvest is plentiful. Yes, the laborers are few, but Jesus said we need to ask God to send people into his harvest field. Lord, I don't want just anybody going to share with my loved one who needs Christ. I want the one that you want to go share with them. I want the ones that go share with them to be the ones you've sent who are walking in your power, led of your spirit. Because there's lots of people out there knocking on doors, riding bicycles, think they're sharing a gospel. And it's not biblically true. I don't want them. Lord, I want you to send your workers to my loved one. You to send your people to those who need to hear. Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 for 4, he said, Pray for us that I may make it clear. Did, did you catch that? Go back real quick to Colossians. Look at chapter 4. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us, a door to the, for the word, to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. In other words, he says, Pray for me. I thank the Lord for all y'all that pray for Jim and Just the Preacher Ministries. And I get the notes and the cards sometimes that saying, been praying for you. There's a wonderful lady named Maud who sends us a little check every month. But with that check, she writes this wonderful, encouraging note that just shows that she's been praying for us. Man, we look forward to that note more than anything because the encouragement that it is to know that she's been praying that God would use me in the ministry. God spoke directly to Paul, as I already showed, to open his eyes spiritually. But then he sent Paul to be used to open others' eyes. We're not going to take a time to go there because of where we need to go tonight. In Acts 26, verses 9 through 18, write it down. Acts 26, 9 through 18, Paul shares his story. And as he shares his story, he talks about how God, Jesus himself showed up and revealed himself to Paul. God did use other people in Paul's life, one of them being Philip, as he was being and Stephen, as he was being stoned for the gospel. As the Bible says, Paul, Saul at the time, was standing there collecting everybody's coats while he was being stoned. God used people in, in Paul's life to lay the foundation. But who was it that actually brought the harvest in in Paul's life? It was Jesus himself. It was Jesus himself who showed up there on the road to Damascus. And Paul, when he blinded him, he said, who are you, Lord? I mean, I don't know who you are, but I'm going to call you Lord because I know you're more powerful than me. And he says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Folks, God doesn't need you and me. Don't listen to the preacher who says, if you don't tell them, they may never hear. Don't listen to that guy. He doesn't know his Bible. God doesn't need us. He's not served by human hands, Acts 17, 25. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He doesn't need you and me. If I don't tell them, they're still going to hear. If you don't tell them, they're still going to hear, even if Jesus has to do it himself. Oh, but doesn't it say that the gospel will be preached in the whole world and then the end will come? We've got to get the gospel to the whole world. Read your Bibles. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, remember a couple months ago when we were there? He said, this gospel which has been preached in all creation. Romans chapter 10, did they not hear? Of course they did. His word has gone out into all the earth. That gospel being preached in the whole world and then the end will come is in the book of Revelation. where at the very end of the tribulation period. The Bible says that there's going to be an angel that comes in midair and preaches the gospel to the whole world all at the same time. Folks, he doesn't need us. He just wants to use us. And if you let him use you however he wants to use you, you'll be rewarded one day for stuff you didn't do. Have you ever taken your kid with you 
And, well, I remember when our kids were little and I was a pastor in Chicago, uh, we had a big yard in the back in the front and there was a church. The church had a riding lawnmower they'd let us use and I wanted to cut my own grass. And so we had the riding lawnmower and Nicole would always say, Dad, I want to help you cut the grass. And so I'd throw up on my lap and we'd drive around and we'd cut the grass. All she did was sit on my lap. I'd let her touch the steering wheel. She thought she was steering, but she wasn't because we wanted to return it the way we got it. But when it was over, I took her for ice cream and thanked her for helping me cut the grass. I was just so glad she was letting me enjoy my time with her and be a part of what I was doing. I didn't need her, but she got an ice cream cone for stuff she didn't do just because she was a part of what I was doing. This is key, folks. If you don't get anything tonight, please hear this part. God does the sending, and he chooses where everyone is supposed to go. I'm going to give you verses to write down, and I'm just going to quote them to you. Write these down. Look at them later on. Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. That's Acts 13, 1 through 3. That's where those the leaders in the church in Antioch were there, and they were praying and fasting, and the Lord said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've upset them for to do. And they laid hands on them and sent them off. God chose Barnabas and Saul of that group to leave that church and go on the missionary journey. During that time, Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, I've already referenced this as well, Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, Paul was out there on this missionary journey with Barnabas, and he was being trying to be led of the Spirit as to where he would go. And he prayed, wanting to go into Asia, but the Spirit said, no, that's not it. Tried to go into Mysia, the Spirit said no, and later on he had the dream of the man in Macedonia saying, come preach the gospel. And as it says in that passage, then we concluded that's where God wanted us to go. God chooses who will go out, and not only that, he chooses where we're to go. We preachers have just said, y'all just go on out. Get to work. We just need more workers. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. We're to go, but listening as we go to the people that God's chosen us to do. Write down Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, Paul said that he came to realize that he had been chosen by God to go to the Gentiles. Peter had been chosen to go to the Jews. Paul wanted the Jews to be saved so much that if he'd go to hell to have the nation of Israel get saved, he'd do it. But he came to realize God had chosen him to go to the Gentiles and Peter to the Jews. I already quoted this one as well. Write it down. Mark 1, 35 through 39. Mark 1, 35 through 39. Jesus got up early in the morning, went off to pray. The disciples were looking for him. They said, everybody's looking for you. He says, it's time to go somewhere else. Why? Because he was going where the Father was leading him as the Father was leading him. Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. I told you to keep a bookmark there. I want you to go back there real quick. Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. This is in the story where we looked at earlier where Jesus heals this man, the legion of demons. It comes to faith in Christ. Remember the townspeople came and they said, we're kind of freaked out by this. Would you leave? And Jesus just gets in the boat. Look at verse 18. As he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons began, begged him that he might be with him. In other words, I want to go with you. Wouldn't that have been cool? I mean, what a sideshow that would have been. The man who had the legion of demons right next to the bearded lady. Jesus says, verse 19, and he, Jesus, didn't permit him. But he said to him, I want you to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The guy said, Jesus, I want to go with you. The townspeople are chasing you out. Jesus said, actually, even though I'm heading out, I want you to stay. My plan for you is to stay here and start with your family and your friends. Folks, not everybody's supposed to go to China. Not everybody's supposed to go all over the globe. Some of you, he might have just said, I want you to begin with your family. There are others he may say, I'm not going to use you and your family. I'm going to use somebody else. You do what I have you do. I could go on. But if you look at the scriptures, God determines where everyone's supposed to go and to whom. To some, he's given five. To others, he's given two. Others, he's given one, each according to their ability. Don't listen to anyone that says you need to be just like so-and-so. Listen to such and such a person and how he shares the gospel. You need to be like him. No? Jim, go ahead. I was just going to say, when you're witnessing, you're supposed to witness what happened to you, not to concoct something or 
Right. It's got to be the truth. Yep. It's what happened, what Jesus did with me. Exactly. We're also to pray for boldness. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples had been preaching with boldness, the Bible said. I'll write this down and look at it later on. Acts 4, verses 5 through 31. Acts 4, verses 5 through 31. Uh, the Bible said that the, they were preaching with boldness. The, the, the Pharisees and the, the Sanhedrin called them in and ordered them never again to preach in this name. And they say, Jews amongst yourself, whether we're supposed to listen to man or God. And then they went back, and this is what they prayed. They prayed this prayer. They said, God, continue to give us boldness. They didn't assume that the anointing of God the last time was going to carry into this time. There are too many preachers out there that God does a mighty work, and they just assume that it's going to happen the next place they go because they're there. No, it's only by God's Spirit. It's only by God's Spirit, and we need to continue to pray for boldness. The Bible said then they preach the word with boldness. Ephesians chapter 6. Go real quickly to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verses 19 through 20. And we are going to get to your point, Jeff. We're going to do it real soon. Ephesians 6, verses 19 through 20. Look what Paul says here. He's telling them how to pray and make supplication for the saints. In verse 19 of Ephesians 6, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Most of us, let's be really honest. If I were to say to you, or if Paul were to say to you, pray that I be bold, you would say, you don't need prayer. You don't need prayer. Jim, you're bold. Jim, I wish I could be as bold as you. Paul, you don't need prayer. You're bold. Isn't that kind of what's in the back of our minds? I mean, how silly it is for a Paul to ask for prayer for boldness. I mean, come on. There's nobody more bold than Paul. I mean, he was beaten, left for dead, dragged outside the city, got back up, walked back in the city. We don't need to pray for Paul to be bold. Oh, you don't understand the spiritual battle that goes on within each of us who are called by God to lead in the church. Pray that I'll continue to be bold. Pray for boldness. Pray for boldness for yourself. Go back to Colossians chapter 4. Look at verses 5 and 6. Paul says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We're going to come back next week and deal with this in more detail because there's too much here for me to just in a minute or two that we have left to just to hit it quickly. But Paul here in Colossians 4, 5, and 6 points out that when, whether we realize it or not, we're all witnesses of some sort every day. And we need to live our lives with an understanding that people may be watching us even before we share the gospel with them. We're going to break this down in a lot more detail next week when we come back together. But let me reference what, G what Jeff was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll close with this for tonight. And we'll look at this in more detail next week. But look at what, look at what goes on here. Look at what Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Now, there's a deep theology here we won't have time to get into. We'll deal with it next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, this is the same guy that said in 1 Corinthians 16 he wasn't going to come visit him because God had opened a big door for him there, and he was going to stay even though the people were opposing him. He says, Even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul says, 
When I came to Troas, there was an open door. But instead of staying there, my spirit wasn't at rest because I didn't find Titus. And I really was concerned about Titus. And so I left. Paul almost says, I'm not sure if I made the right choice or the wrong choice. Here's the good news. Wherever I go, God's going to use me. I'm going to ask you a question. Have, uh, have you always been used by God every single time the way he's wanted to? Me neither. Will you be 100% perfect from now on that you've had this lesson? Me neither. But we'll deal more with next week that he says that even though we may or may not be fallen perfectly, we'll deal with that. My spirit wasn't at rest. We'll deal with that next week. He said, I want you to understand the good news is, is that wherever we go, God still uses us in his purpose. We might not be in the A1 plan that he had for us, but he's not done with you. Some of you might have missed the A1 plan that God had for your life. He's not done with you. He's still going to use you. He's still good at saying to people, if you'll give me what you got now, I'll still do an amazing work for you now. There are times that we miss out on opportunities God has given us. That's going to happen. That doesn't mean that person won't get saved because we missed an opportunity. Oh, God's bigger than that. He'll send somebody else or he'll do it himself. But at the same time, our desire should be that each of us, in the ways and the places that God has for us, are living in a daily understanding of, Lord, I want to be used by you. And we need to understand the difference between doing it in our own strength, in our own energy, or doing it led of the Lord. And one of the best ways is to know that sometimes God says, don't say anything. I'll close with this story. It's a true story from uh, the, the book, God Smuggler. This guy in the story had come to faith in Christ as a young boy, and he was working in a factory, and his boss was a lady who was very crass. She knew he was a Christian, and she would make sexual innuendos to him all the time. He had been sharing the gospel in the factory. He was a new believer, and he was on fire for the Lord, and he was just telling everybody about the Lord. But his boss, who was a lady, she was just always making fun of him and making him uncomfortable because she knew he was a Christian and all that. And he kept inviting them to these different opportunities to hear the gospel. And one day the boss said, I'll go tonight to hear this evangelist that you want me to go hear, but I need a ride. And the guy says, all I got is a scooter. She said, I don't mind riding on the back of a scooter. So he picked her up. And when he picked her up, she was drunk. And he was so mad. But he took her anyway. And she sat in the back. Because she was drunk, she made fun the whole time. And he was mad as a hornet. But he also thought, as he got her back on the scooter, I've got her alone on a scooter. She's a captive audience. I'm going to hammer her with the gospel. And he said the spirit told him, don't speak about me at all. Talk about the weather, talk about the air pressure in the tires, talk about anything. Don't talk about me at all. And so the whole way home, he never mentioned things of God. He drops her off at her place. He goes home, he goes to bed, he gets up in the morning, he goes to work, and she comes running up to him and he could tell something was different. She had gotten saved that night after he dropped her off. And he said, what in the world happened? The whole time the evangelist was preaching, you were making fun. You were drunk. I was mad as a hornet. And she said, well, when I got on the scooter, I knew you were going to preach at me. And then you didn't. And I remembered that the preacher that night said that there comes a point where God stops drawing people. And that once God stops drawing you, your chance to be saved is over. Because God determines when and how and if you can be saved. And I assumed that you knew that it was too late for me. And that's why you stopped talking to me and it scared me to death. And I fell on my knees and said, Jesus, I hope it's not too late. And I gave my life to Christ. Listen, God used him when he said nothing. We're going to get into that in more detail next week. But for tonight... Well, we're to pray all time about everything with thanksgiving.
But we're also to be praying about spiritual stuff. Folks, I've been grieved over the years as church prayer meetings have turned into organ recitals. Pray for this one's kidney. Pray for this one's lung. There's nothing wrong with praying for the sick. But we've stopped praying for the important things. The things of God. It's time we in our churches got back to saying, God, open the door. God, send the laborers. God, give them boldness. God, give us boldness. God, even if I don't do it right, you can still use me. And folks, when we get back next week, we'll deal with that in a little bit more detail on how to deal with outsiders. But for tonight, God wants to use you. He doesn't need you. He wants to use me. He doesn't need me. And it's a lot of fun every day knowing God may do something for me today, and I want to see, what, see how that might be. Don't try to go make it happen. Let it happen. Father, thank you again for this chance to study your word. Thank you for a room full of folks with their Bibles out and writing things down because I can't get them there fast enough or I can't get it all in in the time we have. But Lord, I thank you that even in this rushed sense, you're able to do your stuff. Thank you for what you've been doing. Thank you what you will do. And Lord, as I have the privilege in a couple of weeks to preach on the judgment seat of Christ, and we've already looked at it a few weeks ago here in this study, Lord, thank you for the fact that you've already promised you are watching every little thing. Lord, forgive us for thinking only the big stuff will be rewarded for. May we realize that every little thing will be rewarded for if it's being done by you in obedience to you. Thank you and spread your aroma through us. To some, they must smell it as death. To others, it's going to smell like life and salvation. And who's equal to such a task? Not us, but you are. May we rest in that truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.